Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing again? So much better. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, again, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, we want to thank you so much for choosing to come and be a part of what's going on here. We know that uh, you could have chosen to sleep in this morning. I mean, let's be honest, sometimes that's tempting. You could have chosen to go somewhere else instead. You chose to be with us, and we're so grateful you're here. Um, just a couple quick notes. Um, we've got, okay, so we started this new series called Tove, and I joked about it, uh, but we actually are pre-ordering Tove shirts, and they say it's all Tove. <laughs> so if you'd like to pre-order your shirts, they'll be online. You can also go out to uh, the info desk, the Welcome Center. I'd love to have you there. And then also, I know we had mentioned it, but this parenting conference coming up, the guy who's speaking there, his name is Jason Bowen, is a really good friend of mine. I've known him for about 20 years. And uh, he does, he's really well known throughout Kansas City area. We're bringing him in primarily because here's the thing, we want to love our city. And part of the way we love our city is providing tools and resources in a way as a church to help best equip parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, counselors, students, whoever it is. Jason Bone actually travels throughout Kansas City speaking and teaching at schools for counselors, adolescent, teens, preteens parents seminars, the whole bit. And here are kind of some of the things that he addresses. Um, he's also got an actual, he and his wife have a center called Renew that deals with adolescent and preteen care, but they deal with things like anxiety, depression, identity issues, meaning and purpose of life, and suicidal ideation. How many of you guys would agree with this? And it's a sad reality, but our kids are more stressed out now than they've ever been. How many would agree with that? The amount of anxiety that our children face now, even from when I was a kid, and I remember as a teen, like, I was pretty stressed out. But between social media, peer pressure, and everything else, the way the world is, we need to equip and prepare not just our parents, but our teachers, our counselors, everybody, anybody who's connected with kids. Another staggering statistic is the number of youth who are dealing with suicide, either with the attempt to suicide or suicidal thoughts. And so we're really excited to have him come. My hope is, is that you'll invite family, friends. If you're a teacher or a counselor, it's 20 bucks a person. But that includes Friday night, which Kate is going to be hosting grace-based parenting, discipline, sorry. And then on Saturday, Jason's going to be doing, I think it's four sessions, and that includes a lunch. 20 bucks for the whole thing. And I'll tell you what, if you can't afford that, let me know and we'll figure it out. Because at the end of the day, I don't want finances to get in the way of us being the most healthy uh, community we can be. Amen? And then uh, lastly, and I'm super excited for this, uh, next weekend we actually have a worship director candidate coming out. And for those of you who don't know, uh, John Hopple has graciously, he stepped in as the interim. Can we just give a thank you to him for the work that he did? Um, he didn't need to step into this. He didn't have to and he chose to. And and so he is, he's led us through this, and now we've got a candidate coming out. His name is Sean Lumpkin and his wife, Ashley. They've been married for three weeks, uh, and they're coming out to Iowa. But here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. When Lisa and I moved here, I had no desire to move to Iowa. I, I, grew, I, was in, I grew up in San Diego. I've been in Minnesota, and I was like, man, I don't want to go to Clear Lake, Iowa. You know what I fell in love with here? We have an amazing town. Would you agree with that? Like, Clear Lake is not what you expect, and I've been telling them how amazing, and it's like a Hallmark card. But really what I want them to encounter is you. Because what really made me fall in love with this place was not Clear Lake, it was the people. We have a pretty remarkable community here. And I don't just mean at Zion, but I want them to encounter and experience our community. So when they come, he's going to be here Wednesday through Sunday, actually Monday morning, that he's going to be leading Sunday morning worship. 
please make him feel welcome. And here's the thing. Everything we've done, I don't think we've done anything outside of who we are as a community. We're not rolling out the red carpet and acting like something we're not. I believe everything we've done has been a reflection of kind of who we are, our values, even how we treat our staff and the things we're looking for. So we're very excited to have them out again. Sean and Ashley Lumpkin, and they're coming from Georgia to here. So uh, be prepared for that next week. We are in this series where we've been dealing with tov. We started off our fall series, and this word tov is Hebrew for the word good. And I had someone who came to me and said, Jason, I think I'm reading the wrong Bible because I've been reading in Genesis and I don't see that word tov anywhere. I'm like, well, are you reading in the Hebrew Bible? Well, no, I said, that's why, it's Hebrew. And the, the word translated tov is good. And the idea is, imagine if I had a crate or a storage container, right? Anything that is good is tov. That means tov is so much bigger than just good. For instance, is it good to love your neighbor? Yes. Loving your neighbor is tov. Is it good to practice hospitality? Yes, practicing hospitality is tov. Forgiving those who have harmed you, is that good? Yes, that's tov. Tov is this big blanket word. And we've done this series, and today's the last day of it, where we've been refocusing our values as a church, kind of our mission statement, if you will. And our, we're kind of encompassing this idea of tov in three words. And that is, belong, believe, become. See, tov is not so much just about doing good, though we are called to do good. It's also not just about being good, though we are called to be good. Is We want every person in Clear Lake, North Iowa, to encounter Jesus. We want every person in Clear Lake, North Iowa, to encounter Jesus. We want to bring them to the source of good, who is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so when we talk about this tov, belong, believe, become, is really about tov. When somebody feels like they can belong to a community, that's tov. That's good. But we really ultimately want them to believe in Jesus because that's even more tov. And today we're going to be talking about becoming. But before we do that, I kind of want to bring us back and remind us of everything that we've been through so far. See, here's the thing. Who we are as a church, who we want to be as a church community, a family, an outpost for God's culture and kingdom, is this idea of bringing Tov into our world and to every person who walks through our doors. And this first one, belong, the idea we took from, and if you remember, if you were here, we talked about the Legos. And that God has created us with a longing to belong, a longing to connect. And here at Zion, we do not believe you have to believe in order to belong. You can belong to this church and be wrestling with faith. You can say, this is my community. I love this church and not love Jesus yet. But here's the thing. We are unabashedly about Jesus. So make no mistake. We're not just a country club. We're not a YMCA. We want people to encounter Jesus. But sometimes the first way people do it is by feeling like they belong. Because here's the thing about Legos. Legos have a top piece and a bottom piece. And here's what this means. For those, the bottom piece is we are created to connect with others, meaning that people look at us, they're the place we need to connect to other people, but also we want people to connect to us. And so as we talk about this idea of belonging, the goal is we want people to feel connection. But it's so much more than that because someone can belong to Zion and not belong to Jesus yet. And we're ultimately a church who loves Jesus. 
And our prayer and our hope is that every person who walks through these doors, who encounters us as a community, that they might come in and go, you know, there's something different about them. And maybe by feeling like they belong, that will ultimately lead them to belief. A belief in Jesus, because here's the thing, belonging to a church doesn't make you a Christian. Belonging to Jesus does. And that's what we're trying to get to, is we want people to encounter Jesus through our love, through who we are, so that they get a glimpse of this God who is crazy about them. And then once they belong, they believe. But here's the thing about belief. Belief is not just about that if you die and you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven, though that is partly true. It's also that Jesus, being a Christian, impacts us now. That the gospel, the belief in the gospel, the good news of Jesus is less about hellfire insurance and more about bringing the kingdom of God here and now. It is letting Jesus be the king of our lives. And when we understand this and believe this, it changes us. It means that we have a purpose here. That, and here's, I'm going to ask a question, okay? And it's more rhetorical than anything. If Zion ceased to exist, would we be missed in our community? I don't mean just because we have two big buildings. If we cease to be a church, would anybody notice? See, my hope is, is that we as a church go outside of these walls and begin to love our city because that is actually what it means to believe in Jesus. It means we bring the gospel outside of the four walls and we begin to go out into the community to love our community for Jesus, to let them know that they can belong and become a part of what we're doing. But ultimately, we want them to encounter Jesus, the radical King and Savior who will turn your world upside down if you let Him. Because that's what it means to believe. But here's the thing, and I shared this, and someone actually told me last week, um, sometimes we struggle with doubt. And, and I confess this to you guys last week. I wrestled with doubt. Matter of fact, just a couple weeks ago, I got done with church. And as I was leaving, I just, I, for a second, I went, is any of this even real? Am I just doing this to do it? And how many of you have ever felt like that you've wrestled with doubt before? Come on. If you're a human being, it's possible that you've wrestled with doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It's unbelief. So often we confuse the two and think that if we have doubts that God's disappointed us, the reality is, is that human beings have doubt because we are critical thinking people. How many people do you know that have risen from the dead? <laughs> I don't know any. <laughs> and so yet our whole belief is around this idea of a man who was God in flesh, who died and three days later rose from the grave. That takes faith. But why do we believe? And if you were here last week, I shared this illustration. And if you weren't, I hope, this, I hope you're, you're picking up when I'm laying down here. See, our faith is not blind faith. It's not wishful thinking. There's actually a reason why we believe or why we can believe. Some people never wrestle with doubt. They just have the gift of faith. And for you, I'm like, that's amazing. That's not me. I believe not because it's wishful thinking or an emotional plea, but because I believe there's evidence that supports my belief. And let me give you an example of what faith is. I have something in my pocket. Now, for those of you who were here last week, what's in my pocket? Keys. How do you know there are keys in my pocket? Apart from, well, I was there last week. I know the illustration, Jason. You assume, even if you didn't, when I did it, you'd assume there's keys in my pocket because what often goes in people's pockets? Keys. It kind of looks like keys. It kind of sounds like keys. But until you actually see it, that's faith. Faith is not blind. It, is not, it does not mean that you have no evidence. It means that you still don't know 100% for sure. Now, the minute I take my keys out, does it require faith to believe these are keys? Until you see them, 
It's all faith. So why do I believe? Now, I'm going to tell you, this is why I believe. And I'm not saying it has to be why you do, but here's the evidence. Here's why I believe. See, when I look at the world around me, I see a world that is incredibly broken, a world that is trying so desperately to find its way through its own values, through its own morality, through its own philosophy, and it's failing miserably. But when I read the story of Jesus, when I read the story of God throughout the Bible, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, it makes the world make sense to me. When I see this humanity that has chosen to reject God as king, and they've chosen to be That makes sense to me. But more importantly, when I see the story and the life of Jesus, our need for a Savior, that makes sense to me. That's why I believe. Because the story of Jesus makes the world make sense. Now that's my evidence, but I also have the evidence of things that God has done in my life. I moved around about every two years when I was a kid until I got to high school. We lived in Uh, I grew up in San Diego for two years, moved to Wisconsin for two years, came back to San Diego, then moved to Maine for two years, then came back to San Diego. And here's the crazy part. If at any point during those times that I had ended up in different places, I may not be where I am today. Had I not ended up at Emerald Junior High in El Cajon, I may not have met Don Kendrick, who Don Kendrick invited me to her church. And there, uh, well, first I was told I was unwelcomed by some of the kids. I was kind of an obnoxious kid. And I wanted nothing to do with church, but Dawn continued to show love to me and show Christ to me, and she invited me back into high school. Where there, I met the youth pastor who was the first man, truly, not, not, this is not an exaggeration, the first man in my life to ever say the words, I love you, and I didn't know what to do with it. Had we stayed in Maine, I don't know that I would have encountered that. I look at my life and I see God's goodness in hand, even through the difficult times, I see God kind of chasing and pursuing me. How many of you have stories like that of God's goodness in your life? That's the evidence. So last week we gave you these keys and we put keys out here. And if you weren't here, we have a few keys left, but I gave them to you as a reminder that what you believe is not blind faith. It's an evidence-based faith upon how God has been good to you, but also how God has moved in your life. And maybe for you, it is the story of Jesus. And so we had the Legos the first week, and then the second week, we've got these keys. And if you want them, please go to the Welcome Center, the Newcomer Center, and we'll get you those. But today, I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about our, our third value, which is becoming. And out of the three, this is the one that I think is often the most misunderstood in the church. What does it mean to become like Jesus? Now, if we were to have a mission statement, so to speak, and this is still kind of being fleshed out, here's the the reason I don't like mission statements. Usually they don't mean much because we don't do anything with them. But my hope is, is that these three values are becoming part of our culture and our language. And so here's kind of our mission statement, so to speak. We want people to know they belong here in this church, so they might believe in the power, hope, and salvation found in King Jesus, and so that we might become more and more like him. Now, that order matters. Again, we talked about this, is that you don't have to believe to belong, but we want people to believe in Jesus, but it's not just about intellectual ascent. We want people to become like Jesus, but what does that mean? Here's something that I have found to be true in my own life, and maybe it's true in yours. I become like what I believe. Whatever I believe, I ultimately become. How many of you find that to be true in your life? Now, you want an example of this, um, and this is a sad one. But if you tell a child they're stupid or they're dumb, what does that child eventually become? 
If that child believes the lies spoken over them, they eventually inhabit, they become what they believe about themselves. All of us have lies that have been told in us, to us, through us, about us, that affect our belief. We have these lies that have been spoken into us. And here's the thing, these, these lies don't just affect ourselves, but they also affect others and how we see church and how we even see God. Some of these lies seem innocuous or even positive. Did you know there are positive lies? There are lies that are positive in the sense that they try to encourage good things. For instance, does God want people to be good? Yes, but it's a half-truth. Because here's what a lot of Christians do, and I know this because I've had conversations with Christians who when I ask them, hey, what, where do you go when you die? And people will say things like this, well, I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm good enough. They took something that God does want us to be different than the world. God wants us to do good and to be good, but we are not saved by our goodness. We're saved by God's goodness, by God's grace. Amen? But where did that half-truth come from? Is because we even in the church, we've not always promoted this well. We've not always taught the gospel well. We've taught the gospel as more as a, a behavior modification than an identity change. And what Jesus wants to do is to shape your identity before he shapes your behavior. Ultimately, what you, may be, what you believe may be limiting what God wants for you, who you are, and where God even wants you to be. Let me share a personal story. So I've been in ministry 21 years now. And when I first started in ministry as a youth pastor, I was adamantly opposed to getting an education. In fact, I would say things like this, I don't need some silly piece of paper to be a good pastor. That's a man-made structure. And I had all these great arguments about why I didn't need an education. Now, here's the thing. Do you need an education to be a good pastor? No. In fact, nowhere in the Bible, none of the disciples got an MDiv. I'm telling you that right now. They didn't do it. They went to the school of Jesus. They encountered Jesus. And even then, they still were figuring things out. But here was the problem. That belief actually was shaping my becoming. One of my pastors one day came to me at my second church where I was a youth pastor and said, Jason, here's the deal. I understand that that piece of paper is silly to you, but it's going to limit your ability to move up in ministry to do the things that God has called you to unless you have it because some people do care about that piece of paper. So he challenged me to go to school, and I wrestled with that challenge for several years. And then eventually, my wife and I ended up going to University Northwestern of St. Paul. And now, here's where I discovered the real insidious truth. All of that blustering was a smokescreen. I still remember my first class being terrified that I was going to get my first paperback, and it was going to be a big fat F. And I just wasn't going to be good enough. And then I realized the reason why I didn't want to go to school is that I was afraid I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, that I wasn't going to get good enough grades to graduate. And so really, I was hiding behind that. My believing was affecting my becoming. How many of you have beliefs that are affecting your becoming? All of you. Every single one of us have lies that we believed about ourselves. And you know what the scariest part about lies are? Eventually, what was spoken over us, we adopt and now we own it as if we're speaking it over ourselves. Now, there's another side to this as well. And this is where I didn't, I really, it wasn't until I actually was processing through this message and kind of writing this myself when I discovered that there was even a deeper fear, which is that if I wasn't good enough, that I really didn't belong and that my calling in ministry was fake 
and it didn't matter. And that was hard for me because in my head, I had conjured up this whole thing that I was so afraid to step out into something new and a challenge of becoming something different because there was a wrong belief that was ultimately affected by my sense of belonging. And I think we all wrestle with that to some degree. So when we talk about this idea of becoming, what does it mean to actually become like Jesus? Now, um, there's an interesting psychological phenomenon that's actually being tracked and researched in the last probably 10, 15 years. How many of you ever heard of this thing called the imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is really interesting. Uh, what they've discovered is that the, usually the most successful people are all convinced that they're there by luck or by chance. And if anybody actually knew how dumb they really were, they would not trust them or follow them. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I suffer from imposter syndrome. Now, I'm not sharing this because I'm looking for people to be like, oh, no, you're awesome. I'm, I just want to be honest with you. There are times that I go, if people understood how imperfect I am and how much I'm not like Jesus, they wouldn't want me up here. They wouldn't listen to a word I say. And that's the lie that the enemy wants me to do because here's the thing. Too often we've made our association be behind perfection instead of belonging to Jesus and letting Jesus doing the work in us. Does that make sense? And now imagine how that belief, that wrong belief, ultimately affects your becoming. If what you imagine God wants you to be is rooted in your perfection instead of his, how, much, how might that affect your faith? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, and I, I want you just for a second, what beliefs are getting in the way of you becoming the man, the woman, the husband, the father, the friend, or maybe even the Christian God created you to be? What are those things that maybe you've held on to that somehow along got in the way of who Jesus is calling you to be? Now, to be sure, there are a lot of verses in the New Testament that certainly call us to a higher standard. They tell us to be like Christ. I mean, just listen to a couple of these. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of God, of me, as I am of Christ. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4.22-24, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness, and holiness. The Bible makes it very clear that to be like Jesus has a different standard. I was recently talking with a friend, and I have to apologize. I'm not going to say his name, but I didn't, I didn't get permission to share this conversation, so I'm going to paraphrase the conversation. And we were talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus and become a Christian, and this is kind of, this is a paraphrase of what he said. I've always been afraid to fully give my life, my finances, my heart, my job, my everything to Jesus because I'm afraid if I do, it means I'm going to have to sell everything, be poor, and he's going to call me to do things I don't really want to do. How many of you have ever felt like that? Come on now. Yeah, someone's clapping like, preach it, Jason. Hallelujah. Someone's finally saying it, right? Because there's this thing like, if I actually tell you, follow Jesus, you're like, but what if Jesus calls me to be like some missionary in the bushes of Africa? I don't want to be a missionary in the bushes of Africa. What if God tells me to give everything up and, and to sell my house and give it to the poor? I don't want to do that. Can I share a dirty secret with you? I don't like getting dirty for Jesus. I don't. 
I was, I was at my last church and I told somebody this. They're like, let's do mission work. We're going to go build houses and we're going to do shingling and dig dirt. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that. None of that sounds remotely appealing to me. And I'm like, listen, you want to know how I get dirty for Jesus? I talk to people. It's a different kind of dirt, isn't it? See, when we have this idea that to love Jesus and surrender to Jesus means that he's going to make us miserable, it means we don't understand the goodness of Jesus. But how many of us think that way? And that belief gets in the way of our becoming. It's, it's something that, quite frankly, it limits so many of us. So where does this view come from? Well, first, it comes from the Bible. Let's just be honest. The Bible tells us to be this. The authors of the Bible, especially Paul, sets a pretty high standard for Christian living. And I don't want to ignore that. But here's the problem is we, we read part of it. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 7. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Now immediately I'm like, come on, Paul, that's all the fun stuff. <laughs> Y'all, some of you are shaking your head, but you know, I'm tr you know it's true. You know that in your head, you're like, man, to be a Christian means I can't do all the fun things. Like, I'll be honest, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd want to be a comedian, but I couldn't be a Christian because... No one would respect me. <laughs> These are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For out of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's kind of harsh. Like, you're harsh in my mellow, Paul. Like, seriously. Like, come on now. That, that, and Paul has a bunch of lists of things that we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to gossip. We're not supposed to eat too much. <laughs> Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not partner with them. This is one of a, just a bunch of lists. And when Christians go, see, see, Jason, being a Christian is just a list of a bunch of things you're not supposed to do. Now, I want to be clear. The Bible is very clear. As Christians, we are supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to look different, act different, smell different. We are supposed to have a different ethic, a different way of living and seeing the world because we're called to be like Jesus and Jesus was different. But the problem becomes this. We think becoming like Jesus means we have to get rid of all of these things. But what if, what if it wasn't about having to get rid of all these things, but rather wanting to get rid of those things? See, uh, if you just read a little bit Earlier in Ephesians 5, in all of these lists, whenever Paul tells us to get rid of, put off, or have nothing to do with, he's actually, the, the language is more of willingness. It's a desire issue because um, what you want to do is affected by your belief. And if you read Ephesians 5, which we often glance over when we bring these long lists, listen to the first two verses before Paul gives that long list. And this is incredibly important. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, if you're pursuing what not to do, we actually might be missing what we ought to do. The focus is not on your behavior. The focus is on God's love and God's love for you. And the reason why we don't want to do those other things is because they're not loving. 
Sexual immorality is not loving. Greed is not loving. Gossip is not loving. When love gets a hold of you, it changes things. Um, when my wife and I first started dating, no one made me had, I didn't have to take her out on dates. I wanted to take her out on dates. When we first had kids, and I'm going to give a, a, a challenge to our fathers in the room here. I remember, because this is what I had heard and been told by so many times, but my wife would be gone at night or she'd be taking a ladies weekend or doing something. And I would say, yeah, I have to watch the kids this weekend. And my wife heard me say that one time, didn't set well. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were a babysitter. I thought you were a father. And I'm like, yeah, no bueno. <laughs> it's all the Spanish I know. <laughs> no me gusta. There we go, more Spanish. See, here's the thing. When you love something, you don't have to do it. You want to do it. And the hard part is, is that the further we move away from love, the more things become something we have to do instead of something we want to do. And when we become to, begin to encounter the radical love of God, a God who is love, when it really changes us, I no longer have to get rid of those things. I want to get rid of them because they just don't satisfy anymore. They don't, they don't add up. They don't compute. They don't actually lead me to what I want. But here's the thing. Becoming more like Jesus means that we love more like Jesus. And it's not just that we love God like Jesus, though we do need to do that, or that we even love others like Jesus. It's also that we learn to love ourselves like Jesus. Um, how many of you are harsher to yourself? How many of you have those really hard words whenever you make a mistake, you're really hard on yourself? Some of you, the rest of you are all liars. Everybody has it. All human beings have, unless you're a narcissist, all human beings have that little tape inside of us that whenever we fail, go, there you did it again. And all the lies, the things that tell you that define you, you speak over yourself. I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And then what we do is we transfer that and we carry that over to our understanding of God's love. And that's so incredibly twisted. Because God wants us to learn to love Him, to love others, but also to love ourselves in the way of Jesus. And loving yourself doesn't mean that you sugarcoat things. It doesn't mean you gloss over things. It actually means that you encounter things through a different lens. Now, I know some of you here like, Jason, would you stop talking about love? Ugh. Like, I'm not talking about rom-com, uh, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks on the top of the Seattle needle, mushy-gushy kind of love. This is not rom-com love. This is real love. This is love that is filled with grace, compassion, truth, and mercy. It is love that allows people to encounter what it means to be loved, not just the emotion of love, the action of love. Does that make sense? Some people are so afraid, particularly men are afraid of love, but when we look at Jesus, Jesus is defined by love. I want you to think about every person that Jesus encountered. Why were they so challenged by him? Why is it that every person that encountered Jesus, they ended up, you saw their lives changed and transformed? Here's what I think it is. I think it's because when they encountered Jesus, they encountered the reckless, consuming, grace-filled, truth-telling, compassionate, merciful love of a God who wanted them and wants to know them and wants to move in them. It was not about their behavior. It was about their identity, about their becoming. And I don't think we do this well in the church. I think we focus so much on all the wrong things and that's why this whole series has been about helping us reframe what it means to become. Listen to how God is defined in 1 John chapter 4. 
God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Too much of our understanding of God is rooted in this idea of God waiting to be angry with us because we're just not good enough. Here's the thing. God's not shocked by any of your sins. God is not up there going, Oh, I can't. Seriously, I can't believe he did that. What an idiot. God is up there and when you sin, God's heart is breaking because he has so much better for you. That's what God desires. The reason his heart breaks when you sin, not because he's just angry. And don't get me wrong, there are some sins that make God angry. Sin separates. But God's heart aches for you when you choose things that are not loving because you're choosing things that are not ultimately going to lead to a life that is flourishing and filled with purpose and power. God wants to do something different in us. He wants to remove fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Grace, mercy, compassion, justice, faithfulness, this is all tove. It brings us into the goodness of God. Now, please hear this, okay? Love does not take, it gives. Lust takes. And I want to give a challenging word to us as a church. And uh, I've, hopefully, I don't give very many challenging words of like, hey, let's be aware of this. But please listen to this. Too many people come to church to take, not to give. And that is not loving. Too many people come to church because it checks a box, because it allows them to go, well, I got my message for the day. Whoop, let's be spiritual. And they move. Real love is rooted in giving. If we came to church with the attitude and the heart of giving to one another, to God, I wonder how much more full and fulfilling church, church would be. Too many people see church as a commodity to be traded. I go to this church for this, I go to that church for that, and the entire process, all they're doing is take, 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 taking. Instead of saying, hey, wait, wait, I want to be part of community. I want to give. I want to be connected. This idea of becoming can transform us. If you're afraid of choosing to believe in Jesus and wanting to become more like Jesus, if you think it means God is going to rob you or ask you to do things you don't want to do, like give all your money to the poor or leave your day job and become a missionary, he might. But here's the thing. You believe, you become what you believe. If you eventually begin to understand that God loves you, your desires change. And God, ultimately, you're going to start doing the things that God wants you to do because God has renovated your heart. And now, let's say you are called to be a missionary. You're going to want that desire because God is shaping that desire in you. Does that make sense? He's not going to say, hey, I want you to do this, and I know everything in you doesn't want to do it. And people are like, but Jason, there are stories of people in the Bible. What about the rich young ruler? What about him? He was one man, and God knew his heart. But God is not telling everybody, hey, you need to give up this. No, this man, Jesus knew his heart. He knew that he wanted to look like he was following Jesus, but not actually do it. But when you look at the disciples, how many of you think that the disciples went into following Jesus going, I can't wait to die for this guy? None of them. None of them. None of them. Like if Jesus started off by saying, hey, Peter, cast your nets to that side. And if you catch a bunch of fish and you follow me, you're going to die. And it's going to be a really bad death. You in? No, but eventually, 
what they believed changed their becoming. It changed their affection. And then they counted it all honor and worthy of the cost of surrendering their life for Jesus. When God gets a hold of your heart, something changes. If you believe this, you may have a twisted view of God's love. Too much of our thinking of Jesus focuses around scarcity, shame, or deeds. I haven't done enough good, so God wants me to do more good. That's deeds-based theology. I've done way too much sin, so God wants me to feel more shame. That's shame-based theology. I've not given up enough, so God wants me to give more. Scarcity thinking. None of those are the gospel because what they say is more, more, more. God does want more, but probably not in the way you're thinking. God wants your heart, not just your emotions. He wants your life. But if you believe in God's love, then you begin to realize that as his love moves in and through you, it changes your perspective. It's no longer about your behavior. It's about your identity. I talk to way too many people who struggle with their faith in Jesus because they've got a twisted view of God's love. Think about how much sin is rooted in fear, anger, and shame. Why do people ultimately have affairs? Is it because of fear of intimacy, fear of betrayal, fear of connection, fear of missing out? Or how about shame around being worthy of love or anger over a past hurt? Why do people gossip? Is it fear of lacking connection so they seek false connection by talking bad about other people? Or maybe they're deflecting from their own shame so they talk about others. Why do people struggle with judgment? Is it because in their own head, they, by judging others, they're actually trying to ease the judgment they feel on themselves, anger over the things they've done, shame around their own flaws? Becoming like Jesus doesn't mean perfection. Only Jesus was perfect. Amen? It means being able to own, confess, and repent of our sin to be set free from our sin. So we're going to play a fun little game. I need my two volunteers. Where are my volunteers? Where they go? Hold on. My, where are my two volunteers? Like, I, where's one? Where's the other one? There we go. Yeah, okay. Let's give it up for Jaden and Ray. Woo! All right. We're going to play a little game. Check it out. We got cups. Now, they get a prize at the end. They get to keep the cup. It's a theology on tap cup. Now, here's the game, okay? So we're going to fill the cups with water, and whoever doesn't spill the most, yeah, as a matter of fact, one, if you spill any, you've lost, um, that's the one who wins, okay? Wait, wait, don't go yet. This is all the deeds and the things that you're supposed to do. Um, I like you more, so I'm going to give you all the way to the top. There we go. Thanks. Don't spill it. Hey, hey, perfection, bro. There you go. All right. So we're going to have a game, and here's what we're going to do. I want you to go all the way around here, and you're going to go this way, and whoever makes it back here wins. Okay, go. No, you're going the other way. Other way. No, no, no clinking. Oh, that's, that's, wait, okay. Who do you think's going to win? Look at Ray. He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. That cup is filled with fear. That cup is filled with freedom. Too many of you are a... <laughs> You can drink a little bit now. That's fine. Oh, no, stay back up here. Get back up here. See, here's the thing. Too many of us approach our Christian faith becoming like Jesus like this. I better not spill. I better not screw up. I better not. I better not. I better not. Instead of the freedom that Jesus says, does Jesus have expectations for us? Yes. But they're rooted in our becoming. Jesus said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. It's still a burden. It's still a yoke, but it's a light one. Too many of us have walked on you guys. Can we give it up for them? 
Too many of us are walking around with a cup of fear instead of a cup of freedom and realizing it's not about checking every boxing, okay, did I cuss today? Oh, oh, darn it. Really screwed that one up. Instead of living in the freedom of God's love, which does begin to transform us and shape us, and now all of a sudden I don't want to do those things anymore. But when I do, I come to the gospel, which what does the gospel remind me of? Is that Jesus died for my sins. And that if I confess, He is faithful and will forgive. To become like Jesus means I become more loving. It means I begin to function and act more like Jesus. The more I surrender my life, my heart, my mind, my will, my desires, my affections, my time, my finances, my habits, the more that I begin to surrender those to the idea of Jesus' love, the more it begins to shape my desires to be more loving, not just to God and to others, but to myself. And love still speaks truth. When sin happens, that's, I can be hard on myself and go, I really shouldn't have done that. But then I'm driven right back to the cross and I'm reminded, God, thank you that you've forgiven me, that it's not my perfection that matters, it's yours. And that's what I'm striving for is this mark of freedom. What if it wasn't about having to get rid of all these sinful behaviors and thoughts, but rather wanting to get rid of these things because you found something bigger and better more life-filling and giving. Love has this way of changing your desires. Now you don't want to be angry. You don't want to gossip, to lust, to lie, to sleep around. I think you kind of get the idea. But here's the last part. The reason why we do church, the reason why you're called to commit to a body of Christ, why you're called to be part of the family, not just to show up when you feel like it, but to actually be in church, is we help each other become. Hear that. We help each other become. And now there's this guy, his name's Sean Aker. Sean Aker is an expert on happiness. That's a real thing. He's a psychologist and he's done a bunch of books and studies on happiness. And he talks about this study, what's called mirror neurons. If you've never heard of them, your brain has these neurons that are connected to be connected with other people. What happens if somebody yawns? What do you typically do? That's a mirror neuron. Your mirror neurons are designed in such a way that you are meant, your, your mind naturally begins to copy those around you. So when you yawn, you get a sympathetic response where you yawn. Well, here's what Sean Acor discovered. Happiness can be contagious. And they've actually shown that if you walk into a room and people are smiling at you, what are you typically going to do in response? Smile. It's, you can't help it. What if... What if the reason why we come to church is that God wired our brains with mirror neurons that the way we become more loving, more like Jesus is by being around people that are more loving and more like Jesus. What if by using our own brain against us to work for us that I surround myself with people who act the way that Jesus acts, what if that begins to shape me? What if God created us to be that way all along? Oh, wait a second, he did. We know that because brain science is showing it. Why do we come to church? We don't just come to church to check our box and say, I did my worship thing. We come to church because my hope is that when somebody walks through the doors of our church, that they walk through and they encounter a church that loves Jesus and loves each other and has learned to love itself so that when they walk in, their mirror neurons in their brain all of a sudden go, maybe I want that. How many of you found that if you hang out with depressing people, you start to get depressed? If you hang out with miserable people, it's hard to stay positive and happy. 
If we begin to love Jesus well, if we begin to inhabit this idea of belong, believe, become, what if every person who walks through the doors, whether or not they know Jesus or not, cannot help but going, maybe that Jesus is worth falling in love with? What if we become what we believe by belonging? That's what we're about. When I was a kid, I played with this, uh, this cool stuff. Here, catch. There we go. <laughs> sorry, it's this plastic. Here, catch. There we go. How many of you guys remember this stuff? Silly putty. I'm so sorry, I hit Trisha in the head. But if there's anybody that hit in the head, it would have been Trisha. Thank you. This, she's so gracious. <laughs> I was aiming for Steve. I'm just a bad aim. How many of you guys remember this stuff? Silly putty. I'm not throwing all the way back there. Vince, you can come and get it later. Do you guys remember this stuff? Silly putty? Here, wait, wait. Here we go. There we go. The cool thing about Silly Putty, I think if the prophet Isaiah, you can, you can play a little bit in the background. I think if the prophet Isaiah had had Silly Putty, he probably wouldn't have said we are clay formed in his hands. I think he would have said we're Silly Putty. Because you know what I love about Silly Putty? Is that one, it's moldable. You can do stuff with it, right? But also, you can bounce it. Remember that? You can throw it on the ground. I'm not going to do it because it'll probably rock it someplace else. But here's the best part about Silly Putty. When I was a kid, I was like, that's incredible. What happens if you flatten Silly Putty and you put it on a comic strip? Remember what it does? It transfers. When we begin to encounter the love of God and we begin to be formed in the shape of God, part of who Jesus transfers onto us, we begin to look more like Him. This is what it means to become. It's not a list. Jesus didn't walk around and talk about all the things He didn't do. He talked about the things that He was called to do, which was love, to seek out the lost and the broken and the heartache those who were longing to connect, to understand the love and to be set free. If we focus on that, imagine how much that will change us.